Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news as well as insight and analysis into everything you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is our transfer pundit extraordinaire, Duncan Castles. And have we got news for you today? Manchester United, Wolves, Manchester City, Tottenham Hotspur, West Ham. It's all here. You don't need any more for your football transfer news than this particular show. Duncan, we're going to start with Manchester United because they seem all at sea. They have made no bids. There have been no sign of anyone coming in. And yet they're short in different positions. Most prominently midfield uh, injuries to uh, Scott McTominay and Paul Pogba, as we know. Now, you've got news on a target with them, as it were, in the summer window, Bruno Fernandes of Sporting, uh, as well as the possible departure of Nemanja Matic. Yes, we detailed what was happening with Bruno Fernandes um, for you in the podcast and uh, lots of misinformation about that player in the summer. Um, Big expectation that Manchester United were going to make a bid for him for much of the summer. Uh, We told you how a lot of that was coming from Sporting and coming from the player's agent, Miguel Pino. What I can tell you now is that Manchester United have decided that they have to recruit in central midfield. Um, Whether that's done in January or the summer remains to be seen. But there is a strong possibility that they'll do it in this window, particularly if Nemanja Matic leaves the club. Um, And they they then need to give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at least one more body in what is already uh, a depleted, understaffed midfield. Again, Bruno Fernandes is a strong option there. The, The budget, I'm told, is significant. Um, Bruno Fernandes, although they never made a bid in the summer, they were asking his representatives to hold fire on moving to Tottenham Hotspur. They basically wanted to be uh, to have the option to match or better any offer that Tottenham had accepted by Sporting, and Sporting never accepted Tottenham's various offers they paid for the player. Um, I think because they were concerned about Paul Pogba leaving and they didn't have uh, control over that situation and they saw Bruno Fernandes as a player who could come into the team and add a dynamism to the midfield and add goals and assists, which he has uh, provided in great measure for sporting. Um, Again, they asked the representatives to wait. They didn't make an offer. Bruno Fernandes ended up staying at Sporting. He signed a new contract in November. But that new contract is deceptive in that um, there was no extension of the length of the contract. It expires 2023. It was basically a device to allow Sporting to compensate Bruno for um, not allowing him to move after they did uh, received an offer over a set amount uh, that was included in his previous contract, where if they received that offer and they didn't sell the player, they had to compensate him with a €5 million Euro payment. That's been spread out across the course of his new contract. Sporting very much see him as a player that they have to cash in on for financial purposes. Um, their asking price is €70 million. Euros. He will be 26 this year, so they kind of realise that this is the year to do it because once he gets over that age, the value will decrease. Um, They would prefer not to do it in the January window, but such is their um, financial situation that were that big offer to come in, 
the expectation is that they would accept on this occasion. Again, people near um, Fernandes are briefing that they expect an offer to come from Manchester United in this window. In fact, there's a briefing that they expect it to come by next week. We'll see if that's right. We know that the, the briefing from his representative has been inaccurate in the past. A story was um, released to the Portuguese press that um, Uli Gunnar Solskjaer had gone to watch Fernandes in person during Sporting's match against Porto in the Portuguese league um, in this past week. That match was the day after um, Manchester United's 0-0 draw at Wolverhampton and just two days before their 3-1 loss at Manchester City. As far as I can tell, no one saw Solskjaer at the ground. Um, what I have been told is there was an email request put into Sporting uh, that uh, tickets be provided for both Solskjaer and uh, his assistant, Mike Phelan, and a colleague of mine has seen that email. However, it's kind of standard practice for clubs when they request tickets for scouts to use the manager or senior, senior coach's name. So that shouldn't really be taken as evidence that Solskjaer attended himself. Um, what's going on elsewhere with United in terms of midfielders? What I'm hearing is they, they would like someone who can play both as a number six and a number eight because they feel they have midfielders of that type at present and they like midfielders with the, the flexibility to play both positions. So ideally, um, someone of that type would come in as the, the new addition there. With Nemanja Matic, we told you in the podcast some time ago that Matic was unhappy with his status at Manchester United, that he felt that um, Solskjaer had... Um, led him astray in terms of his importance to the team going into the season. He had an offer, a strong offer from Inter in the summer, which United refused to allow him to take up. Um, Matic had gone to United and said, well, look, um, if I'm not going to be a starter for this coming season, then I would like to go to Inter because I want to play football at this age. And this is a good financial offer for me uh, and my family down the line. He wasn't allowed to leave. Um, he's set his uh, sights on exiting the club when his contract finishes at the end of this season. United hold an option for a further year, but um, whether they will be able to affect that option or not is another matter. Told they've had offers in this window from both Inter and from Atletico Madrid, both of which have been rejected by Manchester United at this stage, and that the offer from Atletico would have been a swap deal involving their uh, Mexican midfielder, Hector Herrera, who um, is the wrong end of his 20s and not entirely surprising that uh, United have rejected that one. So the conclusion from all this is they are active. Um, they are talking about spending a lot of money on a midfielder and it's possible that it will be done in January. And clearly they're under pressure from Lily Gunnar Solskjaer to... Um, give him some extra resource in midfield. Clearly, they have a major issue with Paul Pogba, uh, who wants to leave the club, uh, and they're going to have to make a decision at some point on how they handle that. Can they reintegrate him into the team long term, or do they have to start bargaining and, and trying to find uh, an acceptable exit for him? Because as we've said in the podcast, with their asking price, uh, the, the price they've floated for Pogba of 160 million euros um, really doesn't give them many clubs who can potentially take the player. And 
although he has very high level abilities, his inconsistency and the problems he's caused the club. I mean, Ian, you pointed out that it, it's uh, a guy who United have signed for his social media appeal, partly for his status and social media actually has his two main social media accounts and Twitter and Instagram don't even mention Manchester United uh, in his uh, in his profile at present. So that could be a difficult sell for them. Um, and uh, whatever way they go, they need to sort out these problems in midfield soon. I have to say, I'm not surprised, Duncan, that Bruno Fernandes has suddenly come back onto United's radar. Speaking to two very high-profile agents in the last three or four days, uh, they have reported to me that conversations they've had with people at Manchester United or people who work on behalf of Manchester United have said, uh, we desperately need a midfielder. Um, we're in big trouble in that position. Can you suggest anyone? Was bit, and that's you know, almost uh, emblematic of how chaotic United's recruitment process has become. Um, look, it's true, they weren't expecting McTominay to be out for the long term. They probably were expecting Pogba to be back sooner than he's going to be, etc., etc. But they certainly knew about Matic's desire to leave. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Duncan, there is a release clause in Fernandez's contract of 100 million euros, but you don't seem to believe that Sporting will insist upon that. No, uh, that's correct. That the release clause is 100 million euros, but um, Sporting have been very clear throughout this process that the the number they wanted to make a deal happen was 70 million euros, and and I think that's that's a realistic number for a player coming from the Portuguese league. We we saw Jean Felix go um, to Atletico Madrid in the summer for um, significantly more than that, well over 100 million euros, the first player to, to reach that level in Portugal. And, and people were shocked um, when uh, we initially reported this on, on the transfer podcast that he would move in the summer and that we, he would move for the full value of his release clause. And I remember um, spreading that information around contacts and they were saying, I cannot believe that Benfica managed to achieve that sum for a player who's essentially in his first season uh, in senior football, but they did it. Um, they did it because Benfica are specialists in extracting money for their players and, uh, and they had uh, Jesse Futi um, organising that deal for them and, and uh, pitching the player to top clubs in Europe and, and managing to achieve that amount. I don't think Bruno Fernandes is on the, in the same class as Jean Felix. He's obviously considerably older than him. And as we started saying in this analysis, Sporting are not in a position to demand big transfer fees because they need money in to sort out their uh, their financial accounts and the, and the suitors know that. So Manchester United, Duncan, this weekend face relegation strugglers Norwich City at home. They are currently 27 points off of the leaders Liverpool. I think it's worth mentioning that when Jose Mourinho was sacked, uh, Manchester United were 18 points off of the top of the table. Uh, quite some distance between those two figures, uh, given this, uh, where we are in this season. And even more intriguing and slightly confusing messages coming from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in his pre-match press conference of the Norwich game, in that Harry Maguire, at one point this week, was being ruled out for maybe three to four weeks. Uh, there was talk of a tear and a hip muscle injury. Um, and yet uh, Solskjaer, in said press conference, has said Maguire has a chance to play against Norwich City and will be assessed before the game in order to make a decision. Now, 
It's not unusual, we should point out, that if a player has a tissue uh, or muscle injury, they can normally take a painkilling injection and usually see out 90 minutes. And that's not uncommon. However, if there is a tear, and that's what has been um, diagnosed, there's a small tear in a, in a hip muscle injury, then clearly putting pressure on that tear in a contest where you're obviously very physically involved as you are as a centre half um, brings with it inevitable risk. What does this say, Duncan, about Solskjaer and United's desperation uh, in terms of, I mean, we're talking about the bottom club here. It's not like it's a Man Manchester derby or a game against Liverpool. Well, well, first off, the, the, those points off the top of the table are obviously a little deceptive because you've got Liverpool on um, a historically good run and that they've only um, drawn one match, not lost yet. So, so you will be further behind. But if you compare um, overall return for games, they're below where they were when Mourinho was sacked and below where they were in the previous two seasons, which is the, the more realistic comparison because you're, you're talking... We should also see Liverpool have a game in hand, Duncan, as well. True, true. But <laughs> let, let's you, you you can run these comparisons various ways, but the point is that they are underperforming relative to what they did with the previous manager when he had uh, proper backing uh, in the transfer market, at least was getting some of the players he wanted in the transfer market. So if you change your manager, the idea is to improve things, to improve results, um, Results have got worse. That's you know that's the bottom line. Your point about Maguire is a is a very um, interesting one. It, there doesn't seem to be any argument that he suffered a, a muscle tear, a hip muscle, um, another soft tissue injury for Manchester United. We've detailed how they have a persistent problem with soft tissue injuries since Solskjaer took charge of the training and how they're. Um, the pre-season, which he said would make a huge difference to the way they played football and uh, their robustness, has not made any difference to the way they play football or their robustness, and they've continued to have soft tissue injuries. And it, and it does seem a very big risk to take um, to play Maguire when he has a, a muscle tear, um, particularly against a, a, a team so lowly in the division. But I, I guess that's, as you say, it, it demonstrates how desperate they are for points and how little faith um, Solskjaer has in his alternative options. We saw Phil Jones against uh, Manchester City. Um, it didn't go well for Jones, not a great surprise. Uh, you can imagine Phil Jones wasn't very happy about being thrown into that match. Um, they have at least some good news in that Eric Bailly is going to play for the under-23s today against Newcastle United. So he's starting his recovery in terms of playing football again, having, I'm told, taken an extra uh, long period to ensure that uh, his knee injury is... Uh, there's, there's no issue with aggravating it and damaging it again. He wants to get fully fit this time. So... Perhaps in a few weeks' time, they'll have Bailly properly available to play and, and Solskjaer will have an alternative option in that centre defence. But um, let's face it, even when Maguire's there, it's not as though they've been uh, invulnerable in central defence. Maguire has made a lot of errors. He's been the root cause of several goals that United have conceded, lost on points from those errors. And, and I, I think it, you could say that his performances have actually declined over the course of the season, despite being elevated to status of Manchester United captain. 
Well, also, Duncan, and this is the last word for our Manchester United chat for today, um, the fact that club captain uh, Ashley Young has declined the offer of a one-year extension on his contract to stay at Old Trafford, instead opted to join Inter Milan. It still remains to be seen whether he'll be allowed to leave in this window, but certainly it looks like he'll be joining Inter in the summer. Now, I think Ashley Young has been a little bit of a kind of unsung hero for Manchester United in the time he's been there because he started playing as a winger, moved to left back. I think he's always given everything. He's a very loyal player, a very diligent player. Um, I can see why he would be a bit miffed that he's been replaced by the kebab shop pin-up boy Luke Shaw uh, in, in the last few matches, um, who clearly has made errors um, is in the way that he's been playing. And, and that's the kind of thing that, that Young... Uh, has never been prone to doing. Um, what does it say again about Manchester United? We talked about Maguire almost, you know, having to risk his health to play against Norwich City. Now the club captain says, I've had enough. Even though I've been off for another year, I'd rather go to Italy and stay here at Manchester United because I actually, you know, I've probably got a lot better chance of winning trophies in the last part of my career if I go to Italy. It's not great that you have the club captain placing you in a situation where you have to offer him a contract because um, a major club in European football, uh, a club that's too far outperforming Manchester United at present, want to to take him uh, for their uh, the remainder of their season, their attempt to win Serie A and uh, and the coming seasons. And Italian clubs don't mind uh, recruiting more experienced older players. They they have faith in their ability to improve their fitness and keep them on the field and make them effective. Ashley Young has in some ways hung on at Manchester United for there was a period not so long ago when we were talking about Ashley Young leaving to China in a January window and Jose Mourinho decided to retain him. And one of the reasons he decided to retain him was because he's reliable. He, he was never very rarely going to be an 8 out of 10 player, but consistently a 7 out of 10 player uh, who would follow instructions, was able to play in a range of positions um, and had a the attitude of a leader, of a captain. I think you can see that when you watch Young play and his, uh, his attempts to shout and, and organise the, the, the team. And I, I believe, even though we don't consider him a first choice for Manchester United at present, of the fullbacks that Solskjaer has in his squad, he's played the second highest amount of games after Aaron Wan-Bissaka, which shows that Solskjaer still has a, a degree of uh, faith in the player and, and will be unhappy to lose him. And, and you know, OK, perhaps United should not uh, can be excused for um, being blindsided by an offer from Inter for a player that doesn't have a particularly high status in the English game anymore. But it is an error in the sense that if you if your manager still considers him important, if you're still using him as a captain in the club, um, you should know that he's secure until the end of the season. And um, you should be doing your homework to see, to talk to the players' representatives and find out if there was any other, um, what, what he would want to remain at the club, even if you're thinking we, we try and get rid of him in the summer, and whether there's any interest in him, so you avoid getting into this kind of situation in the in the January window. I was very amused, Duncan. I don't know if you saw it, but one of our um, uh, very funny, uh, obviously, and wise listeners uh, on our timeline posted a tweet um, which pointed out that Inter Milan have now made 
more signings or done more transfer business in one window, i.e. this was last summer's window, than Manchester United have done in five. And is there any chance we can transfer Ed Woodward into Milan? <laughs> well, look, we know why that is with Inter. They, they bet the bank on Antonio Conte. And to do so, they had to promise him a lot of work and a lot of money to, to change the squad and the team in the transfer market. They've supported him and they're continuing to support him and they're, and they're getting the rewards. Um, well, they're joint top of Serie A with Juventus, who've dominated the league in Italy for the last seven years. So I think they're getting the, the, the payback. It shows you that that kind of approach can work, Duncan. It can work. You, you would have questions over Conte in the long term. We know his history. We know that he's very demanding on players. We know that players find his training quite repetitive and boring after a while. But what did Inter need? They needed to get themselves back at the top of the Italian game. They need to, to make themselves immediately competitive with a club who had dominated Italian football for years, were historic rivals. And they went out and did what was required to do it. I mean, does that remind you of a, a team in Manchester? Who you think their targets might be something similar to get back to the <laughs> top of well, it? Well, Duncan, the first the first signing Inter made was the sporting director of Juventus, Giuseppe Marotta, and he's the one who brought Conte, and he's the one who's yes. done all the transfer business. So I think our listener's got a point when he says, "Can we get Edward Wood transferred there, and maybe get Marotta over to Manchester United?" <laughs> Anyway, as you mentioned, does it remind you of another club in Manchester? It does indeed. And Manchester City, Duncan, you have some news on them regarding the man who I reckon would give Anthony Joshua a good run for his money over 10 rounds. Uh, and even if he was getting beaten, he's still got the speed to run away from him. That's Wolves winger Adama Traore, who has been supremely impressive uh, over the Christmas period in particular, and whose value has rocketed from the £18 million Wolves paid to bring him to the club to around £70 million now. And Manchester City are the club who, not in this window, we should say, but are very interested in him for the summer window. Yes. Um, Adama Traore is, I think, finally is what, what a lot of people would say, established himself as one of the top attacking players in the Premier League with a consistent run of performances for Wolves in several positions, scoring goals, creating goals, and retaining that, uh, that pace that was always extremely attractive to scouts about him um, and that ability to beat players one-on-one. -on -one. So I think he has uh, a better dribbling success rate than any other player in the Premier League th this season, coupled with far improved numbers in terms of uh, setting up goals and scoring goals himself. Um, and... A lot of that, I think, goes down to Nuno Espirito Santo, who had his doubts about uh, Traore last season after they bought him from Middlesbrough for £18 million. And he's on record as saying that he was undecided about whether to retain him in the squad for this season and, and elected to have another go at working with him. And if you listen to Traore, he credits um, Nuno with the improvements in his game. So why do the big clubs want him now because I think because he looks like the rounded player that people expected him to become when he broke into the Barcelona side uh, many years ago and before he moved to Aston Villa from Barcelona with Barcelona retaining a, an option to buy him back. I'm told that Manchester City 
have been in contact with Traore's representatives and made it clear that they are very interested in the player for next season um, and would like to open discussions with the players' representatives about the possibility of that summer move, what it would cost to make it happen. Um, and I think that that will be the issue there because with when you go for a player like Traore at Wolves, you know you're dealing with a club who are in a strong position in the transfer market. They've got no shortage of uh, cash. They have an array of players in their squad who they've developed and added value to and could sell if they chose to. For example, Ruben Neves. I think we'll, we'll, we will hear talk about Ruben Neves as a, as a potential summer transfer again over the next six months. You're not going to get a player like Traore for a cheap price. And there is also significant interest from other major clubs in the player. Um, why does he make sense for Manchester City? Well, we broke on the podcast the uh, Leroy Zani's intention or interest in, in leaving Manchester City and that they had a um, he had a strong financial offer from Bayern Munich. That situation is still not resolved. We told you that um, Leroy Zani chose uh, to have his knee operation in Austria using a surgeon that Bayern Munich um, generally used to operate on their players rather than the surgeon that Pep Guardiola sends all of the Manchester City players to for medical work in Barcelona. Um, and there is obviously a very strong possibility that Leroy Zani will leave. Traore then would allow City to put pace back into the attack, the kind of pace that they've been missing with Zani's injury, which the pace that has made a difference to them in terms of uh, breaking down low blocks. Um, Zani has that ability to beat a player from a standing start and get the ball across the box. Um, those cutbacks, which are so important to Manchester City's game. And I think Manchester City see Traore as another player who has the ability to beat defenders from a standing start and get the ball into the box and could be integrated into their system. So definitely one to pay attention to over the next six months um, to see who else comes in for the player and uh, what level of fee Manchester City are prepared to offer to try and get them out of Wolves. It's a very interesting one. I, I do think, Duncan, sometimes, um, I mean, you're correct in pointing out that Statistically, Traore's numbers have increased uh, and improved dramatically, um, maybe just in the last two months because he wasn't a, a regular starter for Nuno Spirito Santo at the start of the season. But um, my slight concern about Traore is that, uh, yes, he's got the pace, yes, he's got incredible upper body strength and you see defenders bounce off him, which gives him more time when he gets into the box to, to choose um, what he's going to do in terms of his final ball. But sometimes decision-making isn't what it might be with regards to the pass he tries to make or the cross he chooses. Um, he is capable, as we've seen, of scoring uh, from outside the box uh, as well as um, in the air as well. He's got good physical presence. So there is a good all-round feel to Adamatori, but the fact that he's failed so far to realise what is an incredible potential uh, every club he's been at just makes me a little bit sceptical about a sort of 60, 70 million pounds price tag that's placed upon him. Except, of course, if the club that he goes to um, have complete faith that both the player will respond to and the coach who is coaching him will be able to bring out what clearly is uh, a, a player, uh, an excellent player 
um, inside uh, a kind of inconsistent player right now at this moment in time. Yeah, I think I think that's the the key thing here. It's these days you have to spend a lot of money to get talent who are performing to a certain level within their own leagues. Traore is a very interesting example because he's, as I said, scouts have liked him for a long time for his physical uh, credentials, but analytics department have said actually he's not delivering on the field, so uh, we'll pass on that. And Wolves have taken a risk in in paying that release clause he had at uh, Middlesbrough and, and putting him in the squad and backing themselves to get those abilities out of him. And you can understand why someone like Pep Guardiola, who knows that Traore was schooled at La Masia, so has um, a lot of the the Barcelona basic training in him, would think, I can work on what he's the level he's got to now and turn him into an even better player. And uh, if he trusts me to let you know give him that decision-making ability and say this these are the times when you retain the ball and these are the times when you you try and beat a player one-on-one and these are the times these are the places where you need to pass the ball to um i'll turn you into one of the best players in europe as opposed to someone who was struggling to get games at aston villa just a few years ago well if you thought it was a nation obsessed with the availability of harry windsor for a national selection in the coming weeks and months, given his defection to Canada, then uh, I think the availability of one that Harry Kane is in fact probably just as much of a topic of conversation in the football world. And uh, I can uh, reveal, and indeed my sources tell me, that Tottenham Hotspur are very close to agreeing a deal with AC Milan for Christoph Patek, the Polish international striker who has struggled to secure a place uh, in the Milan side since his move to Genoa just over a year ago. Um, the sticking point at this moment in time, Duncan, is that Spurs would like uh, the um, deal to be structured on a loan basis until the end of the season with an obligation to buy, whereas Milan would be quite happy uh, and indeed are asking uh, for a deal which would see them recoup the €30 million Euros outlay uh, that they uh, um, spent on the player, uh, as I said, just over a year ago in transfer from Genoa. I think he would be a reasonable replacement for Kane. I don't think Kane is necessarily replaceable. Jose Mourinho himself said he's an irreplaceable uh, member of his, his team. Um, but Piatek at least has the physical attributes and the playing style, which would allow Mourinho to continue to vary Tottenham Hotspur's uh, play and patterns of play between the uh, movement of the ball wide to wingers like um, Delhi, Sun and Lucas Moura, uh, but change that up to miss the high press on low block um, and play direct to pay attention the way they play to Kane. Now, that's something which will develop over the next couple of days, Duncan. Um, do you see Piatek as being a long-term sort of signing for Spurs or do you think maybe this is a bit of a risk if they take him uh, with an obligation to buy? I think they want, my information is they want to avoid signing a player with an obligation to buy. They'd rather have it as an option to buy. So um, they're looking at obviously centre forward uh, as an absolute priority because of this long term injury to Harry Kane and because he's having to have surgery on his hamstring, which is quite an unusual operation. Um, and one you would, you know, 
with Tottenham will be concerned that they get the rehabilitation right on that operation. Um, so they're, they're saying at present that you'll be out until April. That's not too far away from the end of the season. Um, what they clearly need is a a like-for-like replacement as best as they can get in the transfer market. But the direction from the club has been, let's try and do it for as minimal a guaranteed outlay as possible. So if they can do this deal with a loan fee, an option to buy, that would be their preference, allowing them to have a look again in the summer for um, that backup to Kane, which they clearly need in their squad. And it's something that um, Mourinho is unhappy about, that he has a squad where Harry Kane fundamental to it and there, there was no like-for-like backup um, or similar style player in the squad that, that he inherited. So they're also looking in midfield on the same basis, um, a, a loan with an option to buy. Um, Piatek himself has compared his game to Harry Kane and said he's a, a player he admires. Um, there, there's clearly an element of risk in that Piatek's value went from four million when Genoa bought him in, in 2018 to that um, over 30 million that uh, Milan paid for him last January on the basis of a, an incredible uh, run of scoring for Genoa, uh, at which continued after he moved to Milan, but which has stopped this season. Um, obviously, Milan are struggling. Uh, they have problem, they've had problems with coaches, they've had problems with squad. They're, you know, they're, they're a difficult club to play at. So the fact that Piatek's only scored four goals in the first half of the Serie A season should not be taken as a as a definite indicator that uh, his, his time at Genoa was um, fortunate and he doesn't have the, the quality to play at the top level. Um, I talked to someone close to Mourinho and he said, yeah, Piatek is the, the right category of player um, to come in in this difficult situation to try and offer a, a, an option for the rest of the season. So a, a reasonable bet in terms of what you can get in the transfer market if they're not prepared to spend heavily on a centre-forward. And you can understand why Levy doesn't want to do that because he expects Kane to come back. Um, can you afford to put a lot of budget into the centre-forward position when you know there are other areas of the team that will need to be reinforced in the summer? Um, what you, you have to say is that... It, does make the target of qualifying for the Champions League very difficult for Tottenham because um, they, they, you know, they had a 12-point deficit to make up when Mourinho arrived to replace Maurizio Pochettino. They're now looking at spending at least uh, three months of the season without their best player and their captain. Um, they have issues with Tange and Dombele, uh, who, who can't get a consistent run of uh, games in the team because of his fitness problems and conditioning problems, um, who was their biggest signing in the summer. They lost Ben Davis, who uh, not a spectacular left back, but a reliable left back in that system that Mourinho has tried to implement, where Sergio Aurier plays basically as an additional uh, forward when they're in possession of the ball and Ben Davis tucks in to, to assist the defence. And he you know, he can play Vertonghen there, but Vertonghen doesn't really have the pace to play at left-back anymore. Ryan Sessegnon, he said, isn't ready to play as that kind of left-back at this stage. So they 
and on top of that, they've been without Hugo Lloris for the um, the, the period since uh, Mourinho came in and before that. So it's very obvious that the defensive numbers for Tottenham aren't good and they've been conceding goals they shouldn't be conceding. Mourinho's talked about that. You, you have to remember he's been playing with a second-choice goalkeeper, um, a favourite of Pochettino's, who, who he'd taken around English football with him, but one who perhaps the other Tottenham defenders don't have the most amount of faith in and therefore you get issues with the defensive organisation because the defenders uh, know that they don't have the, the, the club's best goalkeeper and uh, you know, a properly international class goalkeeper behind them. So it, it's a difficult uh, integration or return to the Premier League for Mourinho because he's been faced with a lot of problems in the January window, which remember when he joined the club, the expectation was they wouldn't be doing anything in this window. The idea was to to coach, uh, change the, the way Tottenham were playing and improve performances with his managerial skills. I think he's done that, but there comes a point where you get these big handicaps with injuries and um, you can you have to ask how much is it possible to achieve with those handicaps if they're not going to go for top-level uh, reinforcements in this window? Well, there's two things we know about Daniel Leverage. Uh, one is he's a big fan of the Transfer Window podcast and listens uh, frequently. The second is he loves a good deal. So, Daniel, this one's for you and it's free. Glenn Murray. Plays like Kane, has the skill to hold the ball up. He's available. Um, I think you'd struggle to rest him out of Celtic's grasp if indeed Celtic decide to make that move. But, you know, Europa League football, Champions League football, you might have a chance. Talking about analytics, you know, someone sent me some numbers on Glenn Murray the other day and his Premier League performances in 2018-19. And obviously, Glenn's a friend of the podcast. He comes on regularly to, to give his very insightful analysis. But um, they're pretty good. I mean, from an analytics perspective, Brighton and Hove Albion... 36 goals in 73 starts uh, in the Absolutely. Premier League. And, and also, also what uh, surprised me was uh, that he had the, the most pressures per 90 minute of, um, of comparable players in the Premier League. So I, I kind of perceived Glenn as a, as a player who didn't do a lot of work when it wasn't um, involved putting the ball in the net. But actually what that indicates is he does do a lot of defensive work as a, a centre-forward. He's also consistently in the top five um, players in Europe for committing fouls. <laughs> something, he do, something he doesn't usually talk about when he comes on the podcast. Anyway, Daniel Levy, uh, there you have it. Glenn Murray's probably your best bet. Um, and remember, sometimes to solve a very difficult problem, you have to think outside of the box. Let's say Thomas Gravison, Everton to Real Madrid in 2005. What happened there? Yes, you know it makes sense. Uh, another Tottenham transfer uh, riddle stroke saga is that of Christian Eriksen, Duncan. A um, lot of talk this week about um, Manchester United giving up on him because he wants to move abroad. I think that's partly true, but I think it's also the case that... Um, Tottenham settling this window because obviously he's a free agent in uh, June will not sell him or do not want to sell him to a rival Premier League club. However, um, meeting uh, has been arranged with Inter Milan. Again, we go back to Antonio Conte and demanding um, you know the best 
from his sporting director, Marotta. Um, however, Ericsson has always preferred a move to Real Madrid. My information is that that particular ambition of Ericsson could come a step closer next week as his representatives are due in the Spanish capital at the beginning of next week to meet with Real Madrid officials with regards to signing a pre-contract agreement which would see him join uh, and move to the Santiago Bernabeu in the summer. Now, this will be made much easier and the transition uh, much more smooth by the expectation that the Croatia captain, Luka Modric, will leave uh, the club in the summer uh, and possibly, possibly even in this window because the MLS season starts in February, as we know, and he has offers from both DC United and David Beckham's Inter Miami. Now, those offers can still be taken up in uh, when the summer window opens in Europe uh, in uh, May. So, therefore, with Modric leaving, and that, of course, he is the central midfield uh, linchpin for Real Madrid still, even at the age of 34, but also the possibility that Tony Cruz could leave uh, Real Madrid as well, leaving Ericsson in the prime of his career uh, to become that uh, fulcrum in the Real Madrid midfield. So, yes, indeed, uh, look out for Inter Milan and the um, possibility of him going there, but do not rule out Real Madrid. For you, Duncan, where does Ericsson fit in best? Is it with Conte's very regimented style or is it with the much more expressive uh, mode of play, which, of course, Madrid are famed for? I think Ericsson's a player who would add to just about any team. Um, he's extremely intelligent. He works hard um, and he has that creativity of his passing. Um, also a finisher from free kicks. Um, I, and I think he has the capability to play for either of those teams well. Um, what you have to say is if he does agree a pre-contract with either of those clubs in this, um, this period, now he is free to negotiate. Um, and he absolutely can legally sign for either of those clubs. That's going to be another problem for Tottenham Hotspur in that um, you will have a player who knows he's going um, for the biggest move of his career in the summer uh, for, on a very large contract uh, at his new club, who also has um, the Euros uh, to look forward to with Denmark. And you, you really have to question what kind of level of output you get from a player in that situation where he's thinking about the Euros and thinking about his, his next club. We, I'm not saying that Christian Eriksen would slack off, but we have seen other players in similar situations um, managing their game time so that they, they have a, a great performance in the Euros. And, you know, that, that's another factor. Um, even if the deal isn't done, for Ericsson in this this period now, even if he doesn't sign a pre-contract, he might see Euros as his shop window as a free agent to get the the very best deal. So, it's it's not it's not ideal for Tottenham to have one of their uh, best players in this situation um, at a period where they're under great pressure to to qualify for the Champions League again. Bit of a double-edged sword that one, Duncan. The idea that you can go to, you know the is certainly in this particular year uh, the biggest shop window in world football in the Euros that is uh, as a free agent because his contract will expire on June the 30th and uh, take the risk of 
either playing out your skin or bombing dreadfully um, and then hoping you'll still get a contract with one of the biggest clubs in the world. I mean, uh, we saw what, what's happened to uh, our old friend Jimmy Rodriguez um, having had a great World Cup and then signing from uh, Real Madrid and then since spending his time in the wilderness on various loan deals. So um, I'd say with, with Ericsson, he seems to me to be a more sort of cautious kind of character. I would suspect, and certainly speaking to his representatives, if he is offered um, the option of either Internazionale or Real Madrid as a pre-contract, then he will choose, I think, to sign now and go to the Euros with his knowing his uh, future club and that his future is secure uh, going forward into the following season. That, that would be the standard way to operate. If you get one of the big clubs, the club you want to go to offers you the pre-contract, the terms are acceptable, you sign it, and uh, and then you wait to move there. Um, the, the issue, I think, is it's it's problematic both ways for Tottenham in terms of getting the best out of him for that remaining six months in his contract. Um, and having got or being in a position to have got the best out of him for this last year, um, you know, he hasn't been a regular in the first team because there there have been doubts about his commitment from the from the start. Um, so they've been paying him the salary for this final year and not getting the level of performance they're used to have from him. And it's hard to see that changing unless they come in themselves and convince Ericsson that he is uh, a key part of where they see themselves going forward and can meet his financial terms to, to remain there. Well, it was Michel Platini who once admitted to me that um, in a year leading up to a major tournament, a World Cup or European Championships, when he was at Juventus, uh, he would normally be, inverted commas, injured for about three months of the final five to make sure that he was fit and ready for a European Championships or World Cup campaign with France. Um, in Ericsson's situation, who knows? Um, he hasn't played as much football, anywhere near as much football as he did last season. Perhaps uh, if Spurs can't find a way to um, sell him in this window, then we won't see that much more of an English football before indeed he does sign for one of Europe's top clubs. Moving, Duncan, to one of the uh, most talked about and yet, or as yet, um, unresolved transfers of this window, and that of the 21-year-old Portuguese international Jetson Fernandes, who, I'm told, at uh, the beginning of last week, not even this week, there was a kind of caravan of people travelling around uh, English and English Premier League clubs, including Everton, Manchester United, Wolves, West Ham, Chelsea, trying to arrange meetings with administrators and coaches to try and sell a player who is clearly unwanted by his current employers, Benfica, uh, due to a change in system, despite the fact he, played, he started 46 games in last season's campaign uh, for the club. And um, strange reports about uh, all sorts of loan deals with obligations to buy uh, varying from 33 to 55 million pounds, which all seemed very, very odd um, given uh, the situation that this is a player who is not wanted by his current club and who has not played very much football this season. Um, West Ham have been the most quoted club uh, with interest in him. Uh, 
but uh, and even David Moyes has spoken publicly about the possibility of the player signing for um, for West Ham. I understand that you have some other information regarding Jetson Fernandez, Duncan, which might shed a bit more light on where we actually are with this transfer, because it has become something uh, farcical, really, in terms of the amount of hype it's had, but without, as I said, any resolution. The, the 2020 Nico Gaetan ruse. Is that what uh, you... Oh, the Jetson Fernandez ruse. Wouldn't we love to replace Nico with Jetson? Let's hope so. Well, I think I think you've, you've got a lot of the elements there. Jetson Fernandez, um, very talented, very highly regarded on uh, amongst scouts, but he has uh, become surplus to requirements for the um, the Benfica coach in terms of he doesn't fit into the system he's playing at present. So Benfica, as Benfica do, they want to sell and cash in on the player. Um, I'm told that they they say off record that their asking price for the player is 80 million euros. They claim also off record that they've already had an offer of 60 million euros for him, which makes it strange that we see West Ham United um, so strongly linked with the player. And indeed, as you say, David Moyes saying that he hoped to bring him there and felt that he was uh, a player he could he could bring through and develop in the Premier League. Um, I can tell you my information is that West Ham United are uh, very keen on him and that they sent a delegation to Portugal in the past week to try and speak to Jetson in person um, and convince him to sign for them. Uh, my information is that they went to Jetson's house uh, and spent four hours outside the house uh, sending messages, uh, calling him, asking him to come out and speak to them or let them in to speak to him and he refused to do so. So I think you can take from that that Jetson sees himself at a... Uh, more uh, esteemed club than West Ham United. Uh, the, the story is that you know, West Ham have, have offered uh, an 18-month loan deal um, with a th which they'll pay 3.5 million euros for, and that would include an option that allows Benfica to sell them to another club in the summer. So essentially, they're allowing themselves to be a shop window for the player, and they're offering that to Benfica. But there are a lot of agents involved in this. Um, we have Pini Zahavi uh, has been uh, involved in trying to find him a club. And uh, Benfica are also using Jesty Footy, as they often use Jesty Footy to try and uh, find a uh, buyer for him. Um, I'm told that there is interest from Wolverhampton Wanderers, which they also had in the summer. And obviously that would be in some ways an obvious move. Wolves have specialised in taking Portuguese players um, at good prices and, and increasing their value and develop, developing them under Nuno. Um, but I'm also hearing that um, although Wolves are talking with Benfica, the expectation is that he will probably end up somewhere else. Um, it's clearly a complex transfer. It's clearly one in which the, um, there's a lot of agents involved and the, uh, the intentions of the player and the desires of the player will need to be satisfied. You'll have to be convinced to go to the right place. Um, the guidance I have from someone who knows Benfica well is he thinks that what they'll eventually be able to get is 30 or 40 million euros for the player. But, so let's just see how this develops over the last um, few weeks of the January window. Um, and see what kind of offer those agents can rustle up. 
and um, and where Jetson ends up playing for the rest of the season. Well, I have some sympathy for those West Ham uh, representatives sitting outside uh, Jetson's house because I've done that a few times in my journalistic career, <laughs> standing outside football players' houses, waiting for them to come out and and ask answer a couple of questions uh, based on you know something they've done or something they haven't done or where they might be going next, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, uh, yes, it's uh, never an easy never an easy thing doorstepping someone. Um, however, uh, but you aren't you aren't offering them several million euros of, of salary to come out and answer your questions, were you? Uh, not usually, no. A cup of coffee, maybe. <laughs> to go down the, lo- down the local greasy spoon and uh, have a chat. That was probably about as much as it was worth to them. But um, there you go. It's, uh, that's one of the modern um, banes of football. Uh, if you have to stand outside a player's house hoping he's going to sign for you, well, you know, maybe you're going down the wrong route. Uh, we will end this Friday's Transfer Window podcast as ever with our quickfire round. Um, we um, are looking ahead to the big fixture in the Premier League this weekend, which of course is Tottenham Hotspur versus Liverpool. I think it's very safe to say, given the history between Liverpool Football Club and one Jose Mourinho, that if anyone would like to end their winning streak, or I should say undefeated streak in the Premier League this season. It would be uh, the Portuguese coach. Um, Duncan and I had discussed the idea of doing a combined team because obviously quickfire uh, often takes that shape. Duncan, we didn't really come up with that many options considering these were two teams who went head-to-head in the Champions League final not seven months ago. Uh, It seems that one has regressed and one has progressed. Um, who would you say we could maybe just a bit maybe shoehorn into Liverpool's first eleven from Spurs' first eleven? Yeah, as things stand with the injuries, and we always do these combined elevens and on players who are fit and and according to their their current form. I think the only ones you could argue for are Sun Young Min maybe getting into the forward line. Um, although you're going to have to probably move Roberto Firmino to do that and. Would you get a more effective forward line um, uh, by making that change and, and possibly Toby Alderweireld into play beside Van Dijk? But again, they're marginal ones, and, and I, I just don't see any others. You know, midfield is the yeah. is probably the weaker part of the Liverpool team, and you certainly wouldn't have any of the the Tottenham um, fit midfielders going in there at present. I would have to say I would I would keep Joe Gomez ahead of Alderweireld um, right now. I think he's been extremely impressive. In fact. If anything, you know, in certain um, parts of games, if not whole games, I think he's actually superseded Virgil van Dijk in terms of his performance. He's someone who I think is growing into uh, being a very, very uh, versatile, but yet focused and effective centre-half for Liverpool. Uh, And I think that will continue in terms of his development. So, Duncan, instead... I've decided the quick fire round will not be that combined team, but instead the question which is on the, um, well, it's the one that everyone who's a Liverpool fan and who's not a Liverpool fan are asking themselves, and that is, can Liverpool go through the season undefeated? Is this going to happen? Well, they have 18 games left. Um, They've won 19 of their 20 so far. So if any team looks like they can go a season undefeated, it should be a team with that record. They have also shown an extraordinary ability to um, score goals late in games. 
uh, whenever they've they've got into trouble in those matches. Um, against that, you have to say that they should have lost the game by now. They have they've had the benefit of uh, key refereeing decisions, key VAR decisions in uh, important matches and in, in, in periods where they looked like uh, they might have problems. Particularly the Manchester City match, where the where both the referee and the VAR refused to uh, give a penalty against. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Liverpool went on to score with that handball in the build-up. Also, the the game against Wolves, where uh, again Liverpool scored with a handball in the build-up from Van Dijk, and Wolves had a goal chopped off for offside. So you could say that they really they should have lost the game by now. You can also, I think, you've got to factor in here is they pretty much got the Premier League one. So. Um, given that they have the opportunity to retain the Champions League and given the status that would um, infer upon them if they were to win another one and go back-to-back while winning the Premier League, um, which is a rare combination, um, even potentially because they've managed to survive in the FA Cup to um, a treble, uh, with obviously it would be, because you can include the World Club Cup, a, a quadruple for this season. So you have to think that Klopp will, at a certain point during the season, uh, decide to rest players from Premier League games to focus on Champions League matches. And that, I, I would guess, is the, the most likely time we'll see Liverpool lose a match, is where Klopp has deliberately weakened his side to focus energies on the Champions League. But, you know, it's a testimony to where Liverpool are as a club that we're talking about them halfway through a Premier League season even having the option to say, well, we're going to rest players in Premier League matches because we know we've got the title won, because this is a team that has never won a Premier League title, hasn't won a title for 30 years, and they've got themselves in this position where uh, of real strength and, uh, and a very unusual one. And given your knowledge of the great man, should uh, Josie Mourinho end this unbeaten run of Liverpool's this season? What uh, lovely bottle of Portuguese wine will he be corking at 7.30 tomorrow evening? If he manages to uh, end Liverpool's unbeaten run, um, and I think what he'll be aiming for is just to, to get a point out of the match, I think that, that, that'll be the way he'll set up, is to frustrate Jurgen Klopp, and it's something he has achieved on numerous occasions with Manchester United. I think the only time he lost to Klopp as Manchester United manager was his final game. Um, the one he was sacked after, I think he'll just be looking forward to sharing a bottle of wine with Jurgen Klopp um, should he manage to beat him um, for the, uh, the the sheer schadenfreude of, uh, of, uh, of seeing his face. Well, my guess is the 1986 Duro, but, you know, um, that's only because he once opened one of them uh, in a little meeting in Madrid we had once. Uh, for context, Arsenal's unbeaten season when they won the Premier League in 2003-2004 consisted of 26 wins and 12 draws. Liverpool are already 19 wins and one draw with 18 games left. They're already ahead of where Arsenal were at this point in that season. Um, I'm going to agree with you, Duncan. I don't think Liverpool will go through the season undefeated. Um, Not because they don't have God on their side, because God is currently speaking in a Scouse accent. Um, But because uh, there are other demands upon them 
and there are records to be broken with regards to re- holding, as you have pointed out, the World Club Championship, the Champions League trophy, and potentially the Premier League trophy all in one uh, 12-month period. So, big game at the Naming Rights Stadium tomorrow. Um, I'm sure you'll all be watching, and we will, of course, analyse that uh, on Monday's podcast, uh, which is your next transfer window instalment. Uh, we'll also be bringing you all the news and updates on things we've spoken about today, and, of course, everything that's moving over the weekend and, indeed, on Monday as well. Please get in touch. We have our social media channels, which are um, at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram and on Facebook. Duncan is also on uh, Instagram at Duncan.Castles. Uh, also on Twitter uh, at Duncan Castles. I'm on at GarboSJ. Keep the debate going over the weekend, obviously. Um, we've got lots of games happening. Uh, make sure you get the podcast downloaded. Listen to it on the way to the game of your choice. And, of course, then give us your feedback once you have seen your game, seen your team perform, or indeed any other team for that matter. Uh, We will be back with you on Monday. Until then, we will see you through the transfer window. Ten days down, 21 to go. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 